Good morning. Hope you had a great week. We are going to begin a new series this morning. We are going to be taking a little bit of time to go through the book of James together. We are going to take our time as we do so because there's a lot of wonderful things in the book of James. There's a lot of um, important things in the book of James. And, uh, and so we are going to begin that series this morning. We're going to uh, dive in here pretty quickly and really look into what James has said. This, the message this morning is really kind of an introduction to the series. We're going to talk about a couple of the things that I feel like is important as we move on. But kind of the tagline for this, the message is basically this. It's learning and living a faith that works. Um, James was definitely an individual that kind of told you how it was and wasn't afraid to do that. And I kind of enjoy that and appreciate that. There's a lot of times where as you read the book of James, um, you kind of, you know, you kind of really, you, you, let me put it this way. You can kind of read the book of James in one of two ways. You can read it very offended all the time, or you can read it in a way that basically says James really did care about the people he was writing this letter to, and in, in turn also cared about me, and you can kind of kind of look at it that way. You basically have to have kind of a very thick skin to read the book of James. I don't think there's anybody who honestly could read the entire book and go, man, I've nailed all that stuff. It's hard, but that's okay. Because I love James. James is an interesting individual. We're going to talk a little bit more about him in a second. Um, but I am very excited about taking you through this. I, I want to encourage you. During this uh, series, we're going to, like I said, we're going to take our time. We're going to go through the book together. Um, this morning, we're actually going to just be in James 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, as we continue through the series, I promise we won't do that. We'll take it in chunks uh, so that we're not here doing James until, um, you know, you know, 2027, but we are going to take our time to look through this together so that we have an opportunity to really digest what James is saying and how we can learn from it and how we can actually apply it to our lives. I think that's important, and I think that we need to be able to do that. So I want to encourage you, as we're doing this, and as we are looking at James over the next couple of weeks, that you would do me a favor and read in your own private, quiet time, read James. Okay? Now, now do me a favor. If you're going to read James, do it slowly. Take your time. Okay? Sometimes as, as, as Christians, we, we tend to get into this, we got to hurry for some reason. Like, like if we don't finish the Bible in, in exactly a year, there's something wrong with our spirituality. Now, I, if you get those Bible plans and you keep to those, awesome. Good for you. I'm not that type of guy. I'm the type of guy that, like, I kind of take my time. The Bible can be either scarfed down and you can hardly taste it, or you can take your time to enjoy what God is saying. Take your time to enjoy what the Spirit is saying through His Word. And I want you to do that. There's only five chapters in James. I know you all are brilliant and smart. You could go home, you could read James in one hour or less, and be good to go. I pray that you would take your time as we go through this. And really begin to see what the Lord is saying. So the first thing I want to start off with is this. I want to start with some big ideas in the book of James. Or things to consider. Things to look at as you are going through the book of James. As we go through the book of James. I want you to be thinking about these things. Because in some of these things. You need to understand that James is is in an overarching way. Trying to help us to understand this. Now remember as I said before. Don't get your feelings hurt. Okay, I'm going to need you to be strong. I'm not going to need you to be, you know, when I was a kid, my, my mom and dad would look at me and say, Aaron, don't be a noodle. Don't be a cooked noodle. 
Cup noodle, have a backbone. Because James here is not saying these things because he's mean. He's saying these things because he loves. And we have to understand that. So the first thing we need to look at is a big idea. Something to remember is this. Not everyone who grows old grows up. Not everybody that grows old grows up. I, I, as a youth pastor, I remember looking at kids and I would tell them, I'd say, your job here is to grow. Your job here is to grow up. That's one of our jobs is to grow up. And I wish it was a situation like we have almost in, in, in childhood or, or in our physical bodies. As, as we grow old, we kind of begin to grow up a little bit. Things in our bodies naturally begin to change. Let me help you with this. If you can't quite figure this out, I used to speak quite a bit higher than I do now. Oh, that was a fun time, wasn't it? When all of a sudden everything you said was, and you crack your voice. And of course, that was in the most embarrassing time in your life, junior high. And so you'd come up and everything was changing. You didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to all of a sudden make yourself, now I'm going to make my voice lower an octave. It just simply happened. Spiritually speaking, it doesn't work that way. Spiritually speaking, we have to do things to help us grow up. I believe very strongly that that is God's desire and what God is doing in us. He is growing us up. And sometimes that's not an easy thing. And we need to understand that. But not everybody that grows old grows up. Just because you've known Jesus for a long time does not mean automatically that you have an unbelievable amount of spiritual maturity. We have to understand that. Let's look at Hebrews, the fifth chapter. It says this. You've been believers so long that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. I want you to focus in on these couple words. I want you to focus in on training and skill. You cannot have skill in something without training. You must be trained. James wants to train us to have the skill to understand the difference between right and wrong. But listen, if you are still on the milk, it is time now to move on. If you have been saved for a long time and you are still eating milk, the problem with that is you need more solid food if you are to grow in your relationship with Christ. And James here wants us to understand that. Just because you grow up, just because you get old, doesn't mean that you're necessarily growing up. The next thing is God is about progression, not perfection. God is about progression, not perfection. Look at this. So stop, so like Hebrews 6. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repeating, uh, of repenting from evil deeds and practicing. Basically what God, what the writer of Hebrews here is saying is basically this. I don't know if you've ever had this happen. But there's this thought that we have to be perfect. There's this thought that somehow, somewhere, sometime, there's going to be this moment where we're going to cross this line on this earth, and all of a sudden we have become perfected in Christ. Listen, that ain't happening here. Okay? That ain't happening here. As your pastor, you want to know what I care about? I don't care about your perfection, because you don't have perfection. You're not going to be perfect. What I care about is your progression. That's what I want to see. 
That's what we should want to see in our life. Listen, if you are thinking to yourself, at one point on this earth, I'm going to be perfect, you are not going to get there. But it's about progression. It's about getting as close as we can. It's not about stopping. And what I tend to see is this. Because we have, as a culture, decided what perfection is, and in the church we've decided what perfection is, we've tried to become perfected in Christ instead of progressing in Christ. And so we think, I'm not perfect enough to lead a Bible study. I'm not perfect enough to help with worship. I'm not perfect enough to work with kids. And your perfection is not what we're after. It's your progression. It's this thought that you're growing. That's what James really cares about here. He's not saying you've got to be perfect in all things. He's not going to say that basically you've got to stop sinning. Because we all sin. We've all fallen short. And we continue to do so. But it's about that progression that's so important. That's why I like to say, listen, where are you today? And where were you a week ago? Because if you're in the same spot, you haven't progressed in the way that God wants you to move. He is constantly moving. And he's constantly wanting us to do the same. So don't get wrapped around the axle about perfection. As we go through this, you go, oh man, James, man, you're just, you just hit me right in the heart. Oh my, I am so not that way. And you know what? You're right. But it isn't about how perfectly you do it. It's about the fact that you are progressing towards it. And the final thing which goes along with this is where there is faith, there is movement forward. Where there is faith, there is movement forward. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. As the faith in you grows, as you understand more about who God is, his faithfulness, his goodness, his grace, that is a movement thing. Christianity and the growth there is a verb that means to move it. We're growing. We're moving that direction. Growth here is important. We do not want to be the same that we were a year ago. We do not want to be the same in any way, shape, or form. We want to have moved forward in our faith. One of the things that's really great about stories that I hear about things that God is doing in our lives and in your lives and others' lives, those are great things because those build our faith. They help us to move forward. There's moments where you go, I, I, you know, I mean, listen, let me ask you this. Let me ask you a question. Where is your limit of faith? Where, where do you look at and go, God can do this, but he can't or won't do that? And you go, oh, well, you know, God can do everything. You're right, God can. But you know what I found about most people? They have a limit of their faith. God can do this. God can supply my financial need, but he cannot heal my mother of cancer. Where's your line? Where's your limit? Because wherever it is, God wants to build your faith to move it forward. To move it a little bit closer to him. To help you understand, hey, hey, no matter what you think I can do, I really can do anything. Let me help you with something in my life. I have all the faith in the world for you. You come to me and say, hey, listen, my, my mom just passed away. Oh, I'm so sorry. But you come to me and you say, but I believe God wants to raise her up and raise her from the dead. Will you come pray with her? I'm coming. Let's go. I will pray and we will, God, let's go. But if like for me, if I go, God, you know, like I could really, you know, like really, 
Uh, I, I, don't, I, 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 got, I really could use just a drink of water. I don't know if I believe all the time that God's going to give me one. Do you get what I'm saying here? That's sometimes my limit. But God, in his grace and in his goodness, he wants to move that forward. He wants to do things in your life and through your life that will move you. And that's what this is about. James wanting to say, listen, the faith as you get it, as it grows, it is a movement forward. James is a book of movement. James is a book of growth. And growth is not a stagnant thing. And we have to understand that. And so with that in mind, with some of those things in mind, I want to give you basically the theme verse for this series. And it's James 1 4B, and it's this. It said that you may be perfect. The NIV has the word mature, and I like that one. But that you may become perfect or mature and complete, lacking in nothing. That is the goal. As we go through this through the next couple weeks, that is the goal as we go through James. That basically you would become perfect and complete and mature, lacking in nothing. That's James's goal. That's why, in some ways, he wrote the book. We'll talk a little bit more about why he did in a second. But that's our goal. That's what this is about. It's about growth. It's about maturing. It's about lacking nothing when it comes to what God desires to do inside of us. And because I was a good little Bible school student, and really what I mean by that is, no, I just barely made it through. We're going to do an introduction to James. Very short, to an extent... But we're going to do a little introduction to James, just so we have some background as we move forward in this. So the first thing I want to talk about is author and date. Author and date. Let's look at James 1.1. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, it's on the screen. It says this, John 1.1, the first part. It says, this letter is from James. Okay, now, I want to test your intelligence. I want to test how much you're paying attention. I really just want to test if you're still awake. Uh, with this information, who wrote the book of James? James. My goodness. I just feel so good right now. You guys. Mm. You know, I'm nice. I didn't do Hebrews, okay? Anyway. The book of James. James wrote the book of James. That's all right. Now, but here's the question. Which James? The Bible really records four James. Which James wrote the book of James? Well, we could get into this, and obviously it's up on the screen, you know, so if you're reading and, and cheating, you already know where we're going here. But basically, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Now, it, it just make sure we understand this, okay? James is the half-brother of Jesus, which means James came, obviously, after Jesus was born. Jesus was the eldest son. Uh, and basically, Mary and Joseph are the mother and father of James. Okay, So James is the half-brother of Jesus. So we, we understand that. That is the James that we are discussing. That is the James that we're talking about. Second, he was the pastor uh, in the church in Jerusalem. We know that from Acts 15 and Galatians 2. So James was a pastor. I think that's probably, to be quite honest with you, that's why I like James so much. James had a pastor's heart. And he loved his flock and he loved the people that he cared for so deeply. And so basically James is a pastor. James has got a pastor's heart and that was his calling and he was the pastor in Jerusalem. Next, Paul calls him a, the pillar of, a church, of the church. So James had a very important job. James was very important. And when James spoke in this early time, people listened. They cared about what he had to say. 
And so we see that obviously in Galatians 2 that Paul references James. Okay? Next, some uh, date his letters to the early 60s, uh, not 1960 of course. There are some indications, however, that it was written before A.D. 50. So it was a very early letter. It was one of the basically earliest manuscripts in the New Testament. Again, there's some discussion about is it the earliest or is Galatians the earliest? We're not sure, obviously, but some people feel like it is. Regardless of if it is, it was definitely, number five, one of the earliest manuscripts that we have in the New Testament. And the final thing, as we kind of finish this part about author and date, James was martyred in A.D. 62. He was martyred at that time. So very early on, we know that obviously, you know, again, one of those easy questions. We know that the book was written before AD 62, but we're not quite sure how quickly or how much before that, okay? So we do see that, that James was martyred at that time. Next, let's look at the audience. Who was James writing to? As we study the word, one of the things we always have to understand is context. And one of the things that brings us an understanding of context was who he was writing to. Why was he writing to them and those sort of things? So let's look again at James 1.1. We see this. It says James, after he wrote about identifying himself, he says who he's writing to. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now let's figure out what that is. What's the dispersion? What in the world is James talking about here? And what is he trying to get us to understand? So we need to look basically and go to Acts. In Acts 8, we see this. Now, this is important that we understand because this is, gives us some context of who James is actually writing to and what's going on in their lives. So in Acts 8, we figure out who that is. This is a great wave of persecution began that day. This is right after Stephen is stoned in Acts, okay? Right after that, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. Now, where's James? James is in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came, buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. That word scattered, that understanding of scattered, is this idea of this dispersion. Now, this is kind of off topic, but as I was praying and through worship, I felt like God was just speaking to me very quickly. And so this is kind of free. You get this for free. But basically, I want want you to see something here just real quickly. And I believe this is for somebody very specifically right now. And this idea that there's persecution and then there's this scattering. And a lot of times, let's just be honest, we're not a big fan of persecution. Nobody likes the bad things that happen, but I want you to understand something. There is a scattering that takes place, and that scattering is used by God because God, they preach the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Just a piece of encouragement for whoever is going through a moment of persecution or a moment of difficulty. Trust me on this, because this is from God and his word. He is going to use that persecution to bring good news to people. So wherever you're going through, whoever that's for, you need to grab a hold of that. It's not fun. I'm not telling you it's fun. I'm not telling you it's like, oh, goody, goody, goody. I am telling you, though, that God will use it for his glory and his kingdom to make a difference in it. And so basically, James here is writing to these individuals. He's helping them to understand that basically, although they have been scattered, he cares about them still, and he is still writing to them with great, great care and great, great concern. And the final thing I want to talk about is the inspiration. The inspiration. Look at James 1.1 again. This is the whole thing. It says, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord 
Jesus Christ. The word here I want you to focus in on, and we're going we're to kind of take a, 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 a word focus, and then we're going to jump back in time almost and kind of look at some things, is this word Lord. Now remember who he is. He is Jesus' brother. He's Jesus' half-brother. He does not write this. This is a letter from James, a slave of God, and the brother of Jesus. He writes, Lord Jesus Christ. That matters. Because we're going to go back here and really, really look into seeing a little bit about more of who James was. So we're going to jump back to Mark. Mark the third chapter. And this is what we see. Way back in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it says this. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that he could not eat. That he is Jesus. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. And his mother and his brothers came. Who is his brother? One of his brothers, James. What is James there for? He is seeking him. Look, as they stood outside, standing outside, they sent him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Why are they seeking him? They are seeking him because they think he's out of his mind. They think he's crazy. This is where James begins his journey. This is where we first begin to see James and his response to his brother. He thinks he's crazy. He thinks this, this guy needs to be put away. They are coming there to seek him, not to say, Hi, crazy man. How are you? Good to see you. You stay here and continue to be crazy. We're leaving. They came there to take him away. And so they come. They're seeking him. They're trying to find him. To take him away. Now, let's jump on to John chapter 7. Again, we see this. Just a short little verse. John 7. For even his brothers didn't believe him. Even his brothers didn't believe him. Now, let's stop and let's think about this for a second. Let's give James a little bit of, uh, of, of benefit of the doubt here. I have got to believe that one of the hardest individuals... To prove or to show that you are God's son is your siblings. I want you to think about that for a second. You grow up and here's this kid. He's your older brother. And he comes out and basically says, hi guys, how are you? Good to see you. You know, it's, it's, it's at the, let's just bring it into the modern terms. It's Thanksgiving. You've just had turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes and all the delicious things and 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 mom brings out the pumpkin pie and she's cutting the pumpkin pie and jesus says oh oh listen i forgot to mention to you all i'm god's son i, I and i'm sure that the, the, the cutting just went ah. the awkward pause the slow look up and everybody's going did, did i just hear what i think i just did jesus just did he did, did you you know the crazy uncle who everybody wonders about is like, hey, just give me the pie. I don't care. You know. One of the hardest people to must have convinced would have been his brother. He grew up with him. He saw him. Obviously, at the beginning, he doesn't believe. He thinks he's crazy. He thinks he's nuts. But something begins to happen in James. And we read about it in part in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Look at it with me. It says... As Paul writes this, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, this is important you catch this because we have to get three, four to get to six. 
that he was buried, that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I'm sorry, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the context that Paul is giving us. This understanding that Jesus died, was buried, and was raised. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive, though some had fallen asleep. And then this is great. Look at verse 7. Then he appeared to James. James doesn't believe. James thinks he's crazy. James is not following Jesus. And then Jesus appears to him. He begins to share things with him. He appears to James. Look at Acts 1. It says this, and all of these, after he's appeared, after James has seen Jesus, then we see this, all these with, with, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. James is such an interesting person. He grew up with Jesus. And, and he saw Jesus. And he experienced Jesus. And he, he lived his, his early life with Jesus. And he starts thinking that Jesus is crazy. You know, as I was looking at this and I was studying this over the last couple of weeks and pre- preparing for, for, for this series... It was very interesting to me because if you know me at all, you know that I love to put humanity on the statues. I love to, to, to not just look at people and say, Here's, like, like, what were they thinking? What must have been going through their mind? Because they weren't robots. And obviously there was a point in James's life where he knew of Jesus. Maybe he knew Jesus was a good guy. Maybe, maybe even in the, the moments where he was going to, to seize him and take him away, maybe he heard some of the teaching and he might have gone, you know, that makes sense. Y- you know, I, I agree with that. I, I do think bitterness is, is, is not good. I think joy is better. I think forgiveness is better than unforgiveness. You know, that, that makes sense. But he didn't believe. One of the greatest things about James, as you study his book, is James is the story, in some ways, of a doubter who became a believer. A man who had every reason to say, there's no way this guy is who he says he is. And then, at the end of his life, as he meets Jesus, as Jesus appears to him, we see this unbelievable moment. Where as Jesus appears, James believes. Everything changes. I once heard somebody say about James, if there was ever a reason to believe in Jesus, it was because his own siblings believed in him too. Like I I know, you know, like let's be honest, you know, we we know our siblings. We know the good, we know the bad. And Jesus, when he appeared to James, changed everything. And I found in most people, unfortunately, we know about Jesus. We may know some of his teachings. We may know some of those things that, 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 that are good. We agree with. I mean, if you walked up most people on the street and you said, is forgiveness better than bitterness? You're going to find most people are going to say, yeah, I think forgiveness is probably better. I said, well, Jesus said that. Oh, okay, well, you know, that's fine. Yeah, 
That makes sense to me. Yeah, I believe that. But there's a difference between just knowing Jesus and checking this out and following me here because it's going to sound weird, but just go with me. And knowing him. You get the difference? Like, I, I love head knowledge. But head knowledge, quite honestly, folks, isn't enough. There's lots of people that know the word, but they haven't let it penetrate their heart. And when God, in the form of Jesus, appeared to James, everything changed. If the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to finish this up by kind of talking about James and how things finally ended up for him. You see, I said earlier that James was a martyr in A.D. 62. And there are some things in history that we, we, we kind of have to guess on. We, we feel very confident through several sources that we do know how James was martyred. In AD, 60, AD 62 or around there, basically, basically James was seized. He was grabbed by the, the, uh, the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem at that time. And they demanded that he would recant that Jesus was the Messiah. That Jesus was who he said he was. James refused. So they took James to the top of the temple. And they asked him again. Will you say, will you deny that Jesus was who he said he is? Again, James said no. So they threw him off. Historians record that basically... As when he fell, he hit the stairs. And just like a pastor who's stubborn, because I know one very, very well who is, he refused to die. Didn't kill him. There's even some, there's even some um, recordings that, that basically say, as, Je- as Jesus, as... James really showed his, his, his understanding of Jesus in this, but that as he was there oh, half dead, he was praying that the people that were doing, to the, him, doing this to him would forgive them, that God would forgive them. And so basically, I don't want to get too graphic or too, you know, but basically they, they ran down the stairs or ran down to him, and they basically beat his head in. Until he was dead. Jesus is brother. One of the things that, as you look at, as we study this, James really focuses on this idea that, and, and I know you've heard this before, that, that faith without works is dead. That, that there has to be fruit that has accompanied our faith. And in a very real way, James didn't just talk about it, he did it. And it cost him everything. It cost him his life. And look, I know as we go through this as a family, there's going to be some moments where you're going to feel, I'm just going to be honest with you, you're going to feel like James is kind of hitting below the belt. Okay? Okay? And it's going gonna, it's gonna to challenge you. It's going to convict you. And in that moment, you have a choice to make. 
you can either push it aside and say, this is uncomfortable and I'm not interested. Or you can look at your life and let God do some changing inside of you. Because remember what I said, just because you grow old doesn't mean you've grown up. We've all got to grow up. Every single one of us still have some growing to do about that progression that we want to make. But before we close, I do want to ask you this. You see, James was a doubter who became a believer. Jesus appeared to him and everything changed. In that moment, James left unbelief and became belief. So much so that he would pastor people. So much so that he would be listened to. So much so that that he wrote a book that now is in the canon of Scripture. Not by accident, but because God placed it there. And again, I want to come back to this. You may know about Jesus, but do you know him? You may know about who he is. You may have scripture memorized. You may have all that stuff. But the bottom line is this. There is scripture that I look at that says that people looked and said, but God, we did this in your name. We healed in your name. We did all this in your name. And Jesus looks at him and says, depart from me. I never knew you. Obviously, knowing Jesus and knowing Jesus is a different thing. And so with every eye closed, every head bowed as we close this service out, I just want to ask you a simple question. Do you know Jesus? You may have been a doubter just like James. You may still be a doubter just like James. You may go, how how could this really be true? I, I get it. I get it. In some ways, the gospel is foolishness to our minds because we sit there and go, how could a holy God who is powerful and knows all that stuff. How could he be willing to die for me? I get it. That's not an easy thing to understand. But guess, but here's the thing. I don't understand nuclear fission, but it's still true. I don't even understand how all of a sudden, I mean, all the, the molecular things about how gravity works. But I know if I jump off a building, I'm going to go splat. Sometimes it's not about understanding at all. Sometimes it's about accepting. That's where our faith comes in. And we say, Jesus, even though I don't understand why you would love me, I still accept that you do. And as we begin a deeper walk into James, as we begin to pull back the layers of the onion, I can think of no better way than to start it with an invitation to every man, woman, youth here that says, listen, you can be like James because Jesus is here and he's appearing right now. He's been appearing throughout this entire service. And he is here because he loves you, because he has a plan for you. And so very quickly, I'm just going to ask a simple question. If you want to know Jesus, would you just do me a favor? Because I've asked everyone to have their, their eyes closed and their heads bowed. You know, that's just to give everybody just a moment to kind of focus on what God is doing in them. But if that's you and you say, you know what, Aaron? I, you know, I knew Jesus, but I don't really now. 
or I've known about Jesus, but I really haven't accepted the fact that, that you know, like I could say, you know, I'm, I'm Aaron and I, I just know about Jesus. I couldn't, say, I couldn't write a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's important because James is identifying Jesus as everything he said he was. God, Lord, Savior. When that change happened. And so real quick, if that's you, would you just do me a favor? Would you just look at me? Just make eye contact. And if what you do and I look at you, you just, that's good. That's good. Anybody else? Good. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. Thank you. That is so cool. Let's all stand. We're going to pray together, okay? And then John's going to come and he's going to lead us in a closing song. And if you looked at me, because there were several that did, and that is so cool, and I'm so excited for you. You need to, here's what I'm going to need you to do. Here's what God is asking you to do at this point. The word says that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, basically do what James did, you will be saved. No matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter the situation. Even if you've been like the prodigal and you've known Jesus and you've lived in, in God's house, but you've kind of run off and done your own thing, you can come back. You get to come back and experience that. And so I'm going to ask just for the sake of all of us, okay? I want you to be brave, okay? All of you speak really, really well. I've heard you many, many times. And just for the sake of, of this moment, and how special it is. I'm just going to ask that everybody repeat after me, all right? Is that cool? Father, we love you. And right now, we believe that you are who you said you are. That you are Lord. That you are God. That you love me. That you've forgiven me. And that my sin is wiped away. I believe in my heart that you are who you said you are. Now I'm white clean and I'm yours. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.